feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? That Ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. Learn more at ethic.org. E-T-H-Y-K.org. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with the man whose voice is as smooth as his buttercream, Nick. Oh, well, you forgot to say too sweet to be sour, the man of the hour. But yes, indeed, I am Nick. And my buttercream is delicious, by the way. I'd like to add, for me not being a baker, I can make some pretty good baked stuff. I'm just having fun with these intros at this point. That was the best one you've had yet. Is it? I have to go back and listen and start writing them down so I don't duplicate them. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I don't think you're going to duplicate them. I like the one. That was nice. So how are you today? It seems like it's been forever. It has been a hot minute. I'm good. I have no real complaints other than the the Facebook quandary with social media algorithms and hibbity hoo blah blah that we were talking about earlier. It's been mildly confusing and annoying just because it's hard to build a fan base when they don't circulate your stuff regularly. Well, see, you're famous now. Like 300,000 people saw the last one. See, I don't think that constitutes as famous. And I, I don't think, I don't even understand it. I had one other video on Facebook do what this is doing and not even to this degree i think the last one got two hundred and ten thousand, and that one was different that one was completely organic not to say this isn't organic but i mean it was just i posted it and then i went to bed and the next day i had thousands and thousands of views comments and people were interested in it and it was nice you know i i got to talk to people from all over the world of the uk and it was wonderful this one is going everywhere, and I'm getting tons of followers, but there's no interaction with it. They just hit like, and they scroll on. There's no comments, nothing. So it's just weird, and it, it does. It's got 360,000 views, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. So you just got to keep being you, and next thing you know, I'll be riding your coattails. I don't think that's a thing, but okay. <laughs> Why is that not a thing? I'm 36 years old. If I was going to get famous for being me, it should have happened by now. No, no, you didn't have TikTok and Facebook and all these things back then. Yeah, because YouTube didn't exist. Yeah, but did you put a YouTube video on three times a day? No, not three times a day, but I did post, right? I I tried really hard for a solid year to build a YouTube following. So I had this page called Game Thrifter. It's still up where I would go and I'd go to garage sales and I'd I'd buy stuff and then I would do a video about what I found and then I would update the video with uh, like how much I sold it for versus what I paid for it. And then I would do these little skits. And if you find the channel, it's super cringe. It's really bad. (laughs) But I, but I tried so hard on those. Like I really put a lot of effort into them back then and they were important to me. And I think I got to like 32 subscribers and I was so, I was so proud of those 32. (laughs) And and, and with the new videos, like the cooking ones, like I put those on YouTube as well, but I don't, I don't, I don't try to plug it. I don't, I don't put hashtags. I just post them. And if people watch them, they watch them. If they don't, they don't. YouTube is so big now. And there are so many huge channels that trying to get started in YouTube is, is pretty much unrealistic. I'm just using it as a place to dump extra content that if people want to go view, I can plug it in with its website and stuff. They can go look at it. But I'm not trying to get famous on really anything, but I'm not trying to build a fan base on YouTube. Gotcha. Well, like I said, I'm just sitting here quietly waiting for you to blow up and then I'm going to sneak in behind you. Well, I, I, I've blown up quite a bit, but I don't think we're talking about my pants size. So 
yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. I think that between between this and between the food and my normal stuff I do and, and the fun stuff online, I'm going to have a very interesting life. I'm probably always going to be working and trying to, you know, turn, make a buck. And that's fine. I'm okay with that. I enjoy what I do. This kind of stuff is a blast. And I told my wife the other day, I was like, listen, if I can get paid for running my mouth on the internet, I'll do it. I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Well, there's also running your mouth on a, on a podcast. Still constitutes as the internet. <laughs> yes, it does. This week, I want to kind of shift back to some older roots and how we, how we manage some of our shows. This week, actually, was one of the topics that you were interested in. Because when it comes to clean energy, and I don't mean renewable, I mean clean, we have to have storage. And storage is becoming the problem, not collection. So this week, I want to talk about these molted salt energy storage towers. These things that look like, was it, I always say it wrong, Thorman's Tower or the Eye and the, you know, the Lord Sauron. of the Rings. Well, there's Sauron or Saruman. They're not the same character. So the, the Eye of Sauron, there's that Sauron. Tower. Yeah, okay. They look like that. They're in, you know, like we have one in Arizona with the mirrors all the way around it with the big tower at the top. And that's what I want to talk about is how that becomes energy storage, because there's all kinds of ways to store energy we don't necessarily think of. A lot of times when I say energy storage, what do you think of? I'm not a fair person to ask this, Michael, because I'm your brother, and sometimes you force feed me information I didn't know I didn't want. So (laughs) the normal person is going to say battery, and I'm going to say heat. So you're right. When 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 you say energy, or someone says energy stories, the first thing people think of is just batteries, the lithium ion battery, those kinds of things. But there's also physical batteries. There's where they take old coal mines that are in the tops of mountains. And when you have too much energy, you pump water to the top of the mountain. And when you need more, you let it run back down through turbines. That's still energy storage, it's potential energy turning into kinetic, but it's still energy storage. Or they have these long, deep mines that you crank up a weight when you have extra extra energy that needs to be used up. Because then sometimes you'll have an abundance. And then when you need more, you let this weight go back down, spinning this gyro and, cre- and creating a, a charge. Yeah, so it's not really energy storage as much as you're using energy to create a action that will give you less energy than you used later on so as both of these situations involve you know something that spins really fast with an alternator that you know creates current right so the water same thing it's like creating an artificial mill they spin comes down spins a turbine in the water yay power this one the big weight does the same thing it's gravity fed right so just Mm -hmm. so really it but it is storage so it's there to be used on demand these molten salt, uh, salt towers are used in two, well, molten salt is used in two different ways. We're not going to talk about reactors. We're going to talk about clean energy storage and creation. Okay. So these towers that you see in almost exclusively deserts, and that's where they belong, right, is got all these mirrors. And you can Google it. Like I said, it looks like this insane, like you're waiting to see two hobbits try to sneak by. But all these mirrors pointed to the very top of this tower that has salt in it. And it superheats that salt, which is conductive, and then runs it down into storage tanks. So it's got a circulation to it. And that's how they're storing your heat. 
Okay, as you were saying, heat is a storage, uh, an energy storage. And well, then it's, it's energy. I mean, it's it, heat is energy. Vibration is energy. Energy exists in our in our, our world so many different ways that if you have a, a, a access of any of those, it constitutes as energy storage. So the question is, is, can you harness it and utilize it? And I will shut up now. Go on. <laughs> so just like we've talked about in the past, when you're saving heat for something, it's almost exclusively to run a turbine. And that's what mm -hmm. this does. It comes through these pipes. It warms up water, creates steam. Steam pushes with pressure up through a turbine. And that is where you get electricity from the molten salt tower. So that is the primary use of the molten salt tower is to be able to hold that heat for a period of time so that they can run it through the tanks create steam pressure and electricity. Now okay. there's a, there's also another version where they do the exact same thing, but it is within a, uh, a reaction that is nuclear. And that is not what we're talking about. Okay. This is just simply those. So the most important part of clean energy is storage and looking at this, although effective, it really is effective with pretty reasonable efficiencies i'm not a hundred percent sure how i feel about the whole thing because my brain goes to embodied energy but we'll take a look at how it operates and how it works and maybe by the end of this by just talking it through you would think i would have come to a moral of the story by writing it but sometimes i have to say it <laughs> right sometimes that's what has to happen so they take up like one of the things that I'm not a fan of when it comes to clean energy is a lot of them take massive footprints mm -hmm. when it comes to solar power and solar fields. One of the complaints I have is it takes a lot of space and unless it's there to help farmland recover, like we've discussed in the past, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have a huge use for commercial large scale solar. And this is commercial large scale solar. And it has a, a pretty large infrastructure. And as I was reading, it's got about a 20-year lifespan before either A, ma major repairs have to happen, or B, they decide they're done with it. Now, okay. I don't know of any of them that have been decommissioned at this point, but mm -hmm. with the amount of mirrors, the amount of placement, the amount of adjustment required, and just this, the basic maintenance of the tower, I have concerns when it comes to are we getting more energy than what we're putting in? And I know that's not a thing. What I'm saying is, are we getting enough for what we're doing? Okay. These things are acres and acres, of course, to be able to put enough mirrors surrounding there. Because all it is, is it's taking the sunlight, hitting those mirrors, reflecting that sunlight to a focused point. No different than when kids used to burn leaves with their magnifying glass. Okay. They're just focusing the light in one small spot, but they're doing it with a, with a couple hundred mirrors in one of the, the warmest places with the most direct sunlight. Because in order to get salt to the temperatures they need, and by the way, that temperature is, is over 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, yeah, you did say molten, right? Which means it's the salt equivalent of, like, magma? Yeah, it's basically a liquid. Yeah, it's how you season. Never mind. I'm not going to say those words. Keep going. You season? I was, yeah, I was going to say something, uh, something that I was going to swear. Oh, 
So when this thing goes into circulation, it reaches temperatures of over 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit or somewhere around 566 C, mm-hmm. gets held in storage until needed. So this thing will sit there and hold storage at a 91 to 99% efficiency for almost up to a week. Okay. Now, that doesn't sound like a long time for storage, but usually you only need the storage when it's dark. You said it holds the heat for a week? The storage tanks can hold at about a 91 to 90, 99% efficiency as a variant. The longer you go, the less efficient it, the heat, it becomes with the heat. But yeah, it can it was... hold it for up to a week. People don't realize how difficult that is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip this. I'm going to explain this in a very basic way. You have a really hot summer day. You buy a cooler. You fill it with ice. I don't care if the cooler's white, so it bounces all light off it. You keep it closed. As long as it's not opened, it will take a very long time for the ice to melt, but the ice still does melt. Now, I know Michael's talking about heat, and I'm talking about cold, but they're two sides of the same coin. So you're either trying to keep temperature in or trying to keep it out. It's one way or the other. That It happens either way. So I like, like my brother is always referring to a refrigerator as a heat pump. It's the same concept. So if you're trying to hold an absorbent amount of heat in one place, that means it has to be insulated without any vent, no airspace. It has to be able to be flexible enough for the area to expand because as heat rises and things change, the the molecular construction of whatever it is, and I don't mean what's inside in terms of the molten salt, but I mean whatever the the unit is built out of, whether it be a type of metal or it's got to be able to flex and move, but it's got to be able to do it without losing the heat. So, I mean, there's a lot more to this. Like even in catering, my hot boxes hold a temperature for up to, this says up to five hours, but really it loses four degrees an hour. So if I put 200 degree noodles in there the next day, they're still going to be hot and they're going to be gross and you probably get sick and die if you eat them, but it, it does hold the heat, but we're not talking about 200 degrees. We're talking about a rock. That's a thousand degrees. Yeah. And they store it so that as needed, you cycle it back out and it has to stay hot because salt solidifies at cooler temperatures and you can lock up the whole system, right? Well, so it's, yeah, it's a rock. Of course it solidifies at cooler temperatures. It's, it's a stone. It's a crystal. It's, yeah. Cause it's the exact same thing as when you open the window and the light shines on, on a ceramic or stone floor and warms up that if you have it all day like that, when, when the light goes away, the floor stays warm for a period of time, not very long because it's open air, but it's the same kind of concept. Well, it's the same kind of concept, but it's also when you look at things that change in your day-to-day life, like their their molecular consistency based on temperature, simple things, things you you don't even think about, water to ice, chocolate. Chocolate's a huge one. You know, you hold chocolate, it melts in your hand. Now, this is the same basic principles. We're just talking about something very different. There's not a whole lot of opportunities in your life you're going to get to make something molten if you're the average person, but it does happen. And so the idea that stand glass a good example as to, you know, something that's got a lower temperature where it melts and then as it solidifies, it's changed. Now, I don't know what changes undergo, like salt undergoes. I also don't know what kind of salt this is. Are we talking food grade salt? Are we talking something a little more grody like they use to salt the roads with? And what kind of sodium are we talking about, Michael? Oh, it's just basic rock salt. I mean, there is filters in the system and there is ways to pull out other materials, but it's primarily just a form of crude and then refined salts. It's not table salt in a sense. It okay. is the larger chunks that have melted down. It isn't something that you would sprinkle on food for seasoning for sure. Okay. But it is purely to do what we do with everything with energy, run a steam engine. So most of the time it can keep running. 
right? And keep producing the electricity required for the local area, 110 kilowatt hours or whatever is stored and holding. And then as the sun goes down, it switches over. Once it hits a certain temperature, it goes over to the reserve tanks. It can use that to continue the process. A lot of times we hear, hey, you know, solar only works when the sun is out. That's because of storage. Well, solar, I mean, that's like saying the car only is a car when it has gas in the engine. I mean, obviously, you're only going to get power from the sun when the sun is out. The question is, is not how when can you get powers when can you or how can you utilize the power that you get because it's it's impossible to capture all the light that hits the earth right i mean think about the square footage of the planet and how much light hits it you can't capture it all so how can you capture and store as much as possible and utilize it for when the sun is down also with that being said the same can be said about wind and any other type of energy so that's kind of like a non-starter response to that kind of stuff well it's a common poo poo on uh, clean energy kind of thing I love that you said poo-poo. That was amazing. (laughs) So uh, I always try to address those kinds of things because I remember in college, there was, we had an argument. There was another student and I who had very different views on energy. And he kept saying, well, you get zero, you get zero, you get zero when there's no sun. And he's going on and on and on. And I'm like, define no sun. He's like, when, when it's dark out, I'm like, when it's dark out, you know, going into dusk, you can still see, you know, there's still light and he's like there is zero light i'm like can you see me in dusk then there's light same thing with the reflection from the moon let me get this straight Uh, i I know i keep cutting you off but you keep saying things that just irritate me (laughs) um not that you're irritating but like you were in college working on your degree with someone who was in college working on a degree that postured that there was no light at nighttime when the moon is a giant mirror that bounces light towards the earth. Now it's not enough to be effective. Okay. But the point, the point was still there. We collect energy from the sun with solar. As long as there's photons, it may not be as much as you want, but you do it. It generally will produce something. And they were trying to take it to a full other extreme is what they were attempting to do. It sounds like they just don't want, it sounds like they have their mind made up. They're going to go down on their soapbox, believing what they want to believe instead of believing what's in front of them. Right. Well, and that's, that's unfortunately very common. We see people in Congress standing in front of hundreds of people talking about, we need to get rid of wind turbines because it's slowing down global wind. And that's what's raising the temperatures, Joe Barton in Texas. Now, what he did is he did that whole slightly true. What he's talking about is putting placement in front of cities, creating air dams, and a pocket behind it would warm up. Doesn't? Okay. So here we go with Mr. GED here going to ask dumb questions. But doesn't wind come from shifting of temperatures, hot to cold, the airflow changes, so we have wind? Yeah, Mr. Burton also stated that we will run out of wind if you continue to harvest it, which is a complete misunderstanding of where wind comes from. It is um, it is changing temperatures and movement from hot to cold that moves air from place to place. As long yeah. as we have a sun, we will have wind. I, I understand that, and that's why I'm confused. Also, I know that I don't have the education most of the people listening to this kind of stuff has. I'm well well aware of that. But I think that's something that I think most people can't do is look at the picture and say it's a picture. Now, what I mean by that, because I missed your analogy, is we talk this right now, we're talking about molten energy storage. Energy storage is really what we're talking about. Okay, so Mm -hmm. people in life, 
need to look at the practicality of what we're actually discussing. Now, I'm a food guy. So for me, energy storage is canning preserves for the winter because nothing grows when it's covered in snow. So that's energy storage. You may not think about it like that. It may be a little too outside the box or a little too much common sense for for most people that are too focused on one area. But like you like to always tell me, it's about scope. So when you zoom out, All we're really talking about is finding a way to save what we have when we have it so we have it when we don't have it, if that makes any kind of sense. It's exactly what it is. And solar is is that one that people kind of complain about, that it's intermittent. So having a way to store solar is pretty darn important. Matter of fact, as I looked into this technology, it also makes it not only storable but transportable. Now, you wouldn't want to transport it very far because you would lose a lot of the heat that you're saving. But if you had a way to move this from place to place without losing a great deal of the energy that's stored within the heat, then you could have solar transferred over somewhere else and used for that steam engine. There are some negatives. I see corrosion being a problem. I see areas of cooling because it gets down to 290C before it has to go back into heat circulation that if it gets too cold and I say cold loosely here. Yeah. Cold's not cold. It's cold (laughs) enough for it to change, change like it's consistency. 290 degrees Celsius is still like four and a half, 500 degrees. It's not like it's cold. I mean, it's still going to burn your skin off if you're near it. Right. But as it cools, it solidifies causing maintenance concerns and issues for those kinds of technologies, which means that it has to continue to retain a certain amount of that energy just so that it can move. Right. Yeah. And the other side, again, it's it's salt, highly corrosive, highly corrosive to the machinery that it's working with, the pumps, the pipes and all of the encasings and uses of it. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. No, it's just highly corrosive, was all I was going to say. Well, yeah, it's sodium chloride. I mean, it's not necessarily meant to do the things we're going to do with it, but like most things in life, where there's a will, there's a way. So if you're going to melt it down, and if I remember correctly, sodium chloride's pretty pretty plentiful on this planet. We don't really have a salt problem on this planet. No, we've got plenty uh, of salt. So it's, it's not like there's not enough. I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I, I would wonder that when it comes to, so we, when it comes to the product, are they mining this to do it, or are they collecting it from water? Because, I mean, is it, 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 it takes too much energy to, like, desalinate water, pretty much boiling it out, and that, then to turn it into molten. It seems like that would take an absorbent amount of energy, way more than you'd ever get. So I assume they're just mining it out of the ground. Yeah, I, I didn't actually research where they're getting their, their salt, but I would have to strongly suggest it's coming from mining. Okay. Because if you're in the energy business, the last thing you want to do is use more than you make. That is the energy business. Yeah. So that, that's use more than you make and then charge people up the yinging for it. My assumption is they're purchasing a specific grade from people who already mine salt. If my brain works, I would assume they go to salt mines. The really nice stuff goes to companies, you know, where they get turned into table salt. Then the less nice stuff goes to rock salt for the road. And then whatever's left, it's like, hey, we're going to melt this down. <laughs> maybe, maybe. The So some of the cons that I pulled from the research, as we know, the footprint is huge, huge footprint, which means as much as people don't believe it, you're still taking up a large swath of land in likely a desert, and that still has an ecosystem. 
Yeah, of course it does. And it's going to disrupt that ecosystem quite a bit. No different than some of these other energy creation, you know, projects. This does the same thing. It, anything with a large footprint is going to disrupt the ecosystem. Not like how people attack it, but it does. Well, yeah, everything in life has two sides to its coin. So it, it doesn't really matter what you choose, whether you think one thing is better than the other, you still have to choose something. And, and that's going to have consequences no matter what it is. So maybe the power pulled off this or maybe the, the efficiency of it is better than other methods, but it's still going to have negative and adverse effects to the area it's being done to. You're right. The desert is an ecosystem. And to be fair, it's kind of a fragile ecosystem because it's evolved to survive whatever is there whether it be cactuses or certain species of plants and animals that have evolved and adapted to exist in that harsh climate they're not built for lush beautiful green climates they evolved for the desert right so there is concerns there obviously what i see when i talk about the the ecosystem isn't drilling into the ground to put in all these pipes in and disrupting everything there. It doesn't talk about disrupting what little bit of foliage is there. They always say the same thing. You just wait till a bird flies by and it cooks in the air. And the desert? <laughs> so uh, the complaint is, is that those, those facilities can kill 6,000 uh, birds a year. Okay, so how tall are these towers? Uh, let's see, I don't think I tracked it, but I would say 60 feet. Okay, I'm just going to play into their stupidity here, and I, I think it's stupidity. And if, if people want to call me ignorant for that, that's fine. I don't care. At 60 feet in the air, the temperature on the ground and the temperature at 60 feet in the air isn't all that different. The main difference being that at 60 feet in the air, there is no chance for shade, so you're in pure sunlight. Okay, with that being said, you're not going to be very likely to see birds hopping around in the desert looking for a worm. They're not going to be there at all. So if birds are flying through the desert, my assumption is they're going to be a couple hundred feet off the ground where the air is a little cooler. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't think I've been in enough deserts to even know that answer. Because they're inhospitable to people who <laughs> like water. <laughs> the What I did look at is the same thing. Remember years ago, I did a training for the Green Party on clean energy. And we specifically talked about wind turbines. And one of the biggest fighting aspects of wind turbines that they had was that it killed birds. Mm -hmm. So same conversation here. There's marketably less of these towers than things like wind turbines there's only a handful of them but it looks like about six thousand birds a year and i don't necessarily i don't think they're like laser shot by the mere reflection of one mirror i think that they're either hitting towers they're getting too close to the central eye there's you know those kinds of things but i always have to put that in context because that's what i had to do with wind turbines was say okay yes there are fatalities so for this, there's 6,000 a year. That's I don't want to say nothing because it almost sounds heartless. You have it's multiple about 18 other, a day. So that you have multiple other things, our power lines that we're feeding with this kill about 250 million a year. How many how many do cats kill? Well, hang on. They're the final the final straw here. But Just saying 600 million hit glass every year. They're following a magnetic line. They're not necessarily parented. They don't pay attention to the surroundings quite like they should. As a matter of fact, when magnetic lines move, sometimes you'll get a whole flock of birds that just fly into a billboard. They're well, following this line that is now blocked. Birds don't see reality like we do. It's not, it's not the same thing. Right. So when we look at comparing these things, we got to compare it to things that really are the top killers of birds. The, and you named the number one. Uh, no, yeah. Cats. 
if you really care about birds, spayed and neuter your cats, please, because feral cats kill up about six point, or I'm sorry, two point four billion birds a year. Yeah, for some reason, when we became the um, the top predator in the planet, we took one of the smallest, most manageable ones and decided we were going to make it our pet. And then, oh look, when they have babies, they have a dozen of them, and they can do it three to four times a year. Okay, that's I, that's a cat. I mean, why? Like, I'm going to sidetrack us just for a minute ugh. because you said that dogs are the ones we made a partnership with. Cats domesticated humans. You can look at it any way you want to. It doesn't matter which way the wind blows on this. We have a home with, oh, kitties are cute. I want to get a kitty. Oh, my kitty's pregnant. Oh, no, there's a baby. Now there's 20 babies. Now there's 40 babies. You remember my, you remember my, yeah. Remember our sister's cat, uh, her white one, it was like a little demon cat. I think it had three to four litters a year. A year. Like, the only reason that the cats kill so many birds is cats have they're so overpopulated there's still many of them of course they're going to kill that many birds but these are just the cats that are outside these aren't even the ones that are in houses and these aren't even like big alpha predators and these aren't bobcats or or cougars or lions or no these are these are little house cats all little mutts they don't actually have a specific breed they're just cats Mm -hmm. yeah so when i look at energy versus i i understand having a heartfelt defense for birds but compared to all these other things it's not a reason to stop learning and stop creating a a way to store energy or to convert energy or any of those things because the number isn't even on the list if 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 we added the storage units to a list of things that kill birds it would be in the other category at the end if you could, if, if in any situation where you're using um, the, the effect on uh, certain populations as a reason as to why it shouldn't be done, if you have got to lump together all species or all you know, subspecies of a species in the category to say it's killing 6,000 birds a year, whatever it is, but it's not 6,000 sparrows, that's 6,000 robins, that's 6,000 eagles or owls, it's 6,000 birds which means there is not a significant number of any one kind for you to even know about. Not to say that it's not, they're not important. I, I think all living creatures are important. I want that very clear. But my point is that if you're trying to stop something at a large scale, that could be really good for the, the, the environment, which we would never know until we put more time and science into it. If there's negative and adverse effects, okay, fine. But if you're just lumping the information together because there's not a significant amount of data to really make your case and you don't have a case to be made at that point you're just saying i don't want it because it's new and scary and i don't understand it and man it's <laughs> it's that does happen a lot i know it happens a lot i've watched you do it in your town mm-hmm. i mean I, these I, are so when that's why when we look at these things i try to look at them as objective as possible you know it always shocks everybody when i say i'm not a fan of solar fields they just assume that that's something i'm going to love but I'm trying to look at things as, as large scale. I'm trying to look at things as long-term sustainability. I'm trying to look at them as, as different as I can to be as honest as I can. Now, almost always the answer is depends. You know, it depends on why. It depends if you're, re, if you're healing the ground, then put some solar panels on it for 20 years. Well, and the I same mean, thing I, here. I think life is like that, Michael. Now, what I will say is these things cost a tremendous amount of money to build. And so the startup cost is exceptionally high. 
I was unable to see what the payback period is, but I assume of the 20 year life cycle, it's probably close to 12 years. They probably aren't making an income until after 10 to 12 years is my guess. So you're telling me that if something has got a, let's say a 20 year life cycle and it takes at 12 years, we're talking two thirds, almost two thirds of the life cycle to pay itself back. That means as it declines on its last go around is the only time it's profitable. No, there's still maintenance. You keep the efficiencies high, but it's no different than a wind turbine. A wind turbine's life cycle is about 25 years, and its payback now these days is around seven years. So the ROI, you know, you, you look at it from a business standpoint, that is profitable. This one, the window's a little smaller, and I think because it's new technology, there's some struggles there, but I think new technology tends to get grants, tends to get other input cash that help make this a viable option because remember nothing starts off profitable new well, technology I, almost always starts off at a loss that's what governments are for i say i've actually always thought that was kind of asinine myself uh new new technologies in general are inherently bad because they're new and so that's when they give them the most amount of money and they push them they blow them up for them to fail because they're new and they don't really have the science behind them and the time and the experience they haven't had real world tests and then once they're proven and they're, they're, they're better and their improvements, then people just kind of forget about them and move on to something new and do it all over again. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, to some degree. But again, remember, governments aren't, aren't designed or need to be profitable. They, no, but need, they need to, to be intelligent. No, the concept of <laughs> investing in new technologies is to find out if this is a viable technology. And government can take that risk where we're where other businesses will not. The private sector will not take a trillion dollar risk, or it's probably a high, too high of a number, but a billion dollar risk where a government can't. No, I, I, like, I like that you said trillion because you, you're, you're emphasizing a point that I'm fixing to make. The fact of the matter is, is that for, and the best example I can give you is the cell phone infrastructure. No company was capable or wanted to invest that kind of money to give us a nationwide service. Mm -hmm. So the government said, this could be very important. I think we should finance it. And they did. They financed all the companies. They still subsidize them to this day. And I don't think there's very few, I think there's very few places it doesn't already cover, but they subsidize it to continue to roll out and improve those networks. But it wouldn't have happened if it was left to a, a basic market. So all of this energy stuff out there has to have the shot in the arm to see if it works or it don't. And it isn't going to happen because BP wants to spend extra money to do so. It's going to be the government giving money to these startups and giving them a chance to succeed. Because as they do succeed, these ones that do work like solar and wind, they start pulling those subsidies down because they start standing on their own. And that's how the system is designed to work so that we can take risk and get better technology without our companies risking their bottom line, without their companies risking going out of business. So when you see I, subsidies, that's why. No, I understand all that. I just think that it's it, my scope is going to be biased and, and ignorant and small i just think it's a little ridiculous sometimes and the reason i like that you had said uh billion dollars is because the, our government defines the value of money i don't care what anyone says in that regard like they keep printing more of it and then in today's technology in today's world it's all just ones and zeros on a computer so we're going to call it a trillion. You could have said a quintillion. i wouldn't have cared quadrillion I, uh, any kind of alien you want to use uh 
I just think that the way they do it with technologies is a little backwards. I mean, not that I don't think they should invest. I do. I just think that when they get to something that works, they should continue refining it and making it better and better instead of shifting to something new. I mean, if they, when they finally get to a working model, that should get, okay, uh, how can we expand on this? Like, they don't. They just, here's a new guy with a new great idea that seems like a great idea, but it actually sucks. But they'll pump money into it until it doesn't suck. I don't know. I, well, I, it's then, too many irons in the fire. Well, and I'll address that before we move on. They do. They do continue to help that budding industry get to a certain point. NASA is a great example. NASA has spun off hundreds, if not thousands, of new technologies. But mm-hmm. NASA isn't considered or supposed to be a profitable agency. It is a new technology and exploration organization. Rockets were paid for originally through the government, through NASA. Once they got to a point where they became reliable, the controlled explosion rarely exploded. We were able to control launching and and utilizing those rockets. Then NASA quit making them because private sector took it on when it became safe and profitable. Now private sector has taken it beyond where NASA was. Those same rockets are landable and reusable and cheaper. And But if it wasn't for NASA spending the first 50 years doing all the research, making all the mistakes, those companies would never be where they're at today. Same thing with cell phones, same thing with medicine, same thing with almost everything in our hospital, and the same thing with energy and energy storage. Our government will have to work through these companies. And you, oh yeah, you say, well, then they just drop it and move to the next one. No, our news cycle tells us that we're just moving to the next one. They're still maintaining this other one, slowly reducing the amount of investment until it stands on its own. It's still happening unless it completely fails. If it completely fails, they pull the funding, they yank the plug, that one goes away and they invest it somewhere else. But it is the only way we get better because private sector can't make that risk until it's safe. Okay. So... That's where, as I'm looking at, I'm going to close this up here pretty soon. As I looked at the whole picture, what I decided was, yeah, we should be doing these. Not because they're, you know, super effective and super efficient and creating a ton of electricity, but because we're learning new, new technologies, new ways to store energy, and we're going to learn to get better over time. That is where I ended up with here. It isn't dangerous. It's not leaving massive waste. It isn't something that's going to take 300 years buried before it goes back to its normal state. It is taking the physical world, manipulating it for our use without causing extreme damage. Yep, there's still always going to be a negative effect of some kind, but we're learning more about thermodynamics. We're learning more about the geology of salt. We're learning about how energy can be moved from place to place, how we can store it from one spot to another. And will this be the end-all, be-all of sustainable energy storage? Absolutely not. But it's the next step in helping us get there. So when I look at these technologies, my answer is good. I'm glad they're doing it. Far too often, we look at something and go, that's a garbage technology. But we are discounting the education we get with failure. Now, I'm not saying this is a failure technology. I'm saying that we're learning. And it may not stay as a technology, it may go end up into the, the failure pile when it's said and done. It may be something we utilize in certain areas in the south part of the United States or in deserts across the world. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't know yet. 
but the information we gather the the action of doing all of those things are the most important process that we're going through right now and it, it will lead to something even better even better and even better someone will call the next technology garbage technology but it's good we're going to learn a piece that takes us to that future that future where energy storage is easy affordable and doesn't require us ripping up the planet to find certain kind of material we'll be able to use the same material over and over and over again and that's where i find that when i read more about this the more i was okay with it they're not there's not thousands of them all they're not in the middle of the city they're not all over the place there's a handful of them i think they're extremely valuable just for existing i would agree with a lot of what you just said um i one thing i do want to comment on is i do think that one of the most important things you said was depending on the area of where something is applied, applied technologies are definitely more beneficial um, for certain environments and areas and others. And I, I do agree with that very much. I, I just think that a lot of times when they're, when they're talked about, when they're advertised, when they're, when they're announced and, and when they're discussed, it's, that's not a perspective taking into consideration. It's just, Hey, this is what they're trying to do. And we hate it because reasons that's a problem because most people and I, I fall into this category a lot of the times more often than not i would say that, that they don't consider that kind of stuff they just have an initial you know guttural reaction and then they move on because like most things in the the small aspect of it doesn't affect everyone's life in it in a large scale later on absolutely will but in that moment whatever they read see or hear is irrelevant to the rest of their day and so it it is there's a lot of consideration, a lot of thought process that isn't had because it it doesn't uh, get discussed. And I think that that's something that will change in time. And all we can really do is sit along for the ride and hope they make the best decisions with, you know, the information they're given. Well, and that's one of the reasons why we do this show is to take those unspoken words and speak them so that we can get a little better. That's the whole concept of realistic sustainability is to have the conversation that allows the thought process that takes it beyond the news headlines, takes it beyond the sound bites, because all we ever hear is some pundit has an opinion. That's just a person's opinion. And, it, and in some case in this show, some of the things I've said today are just my opinion from what I researched, but, I, but we try to explain it in a more broad scope. We look for those things that others avoid into putting in the conversation because they cut out certain things to have an opinion in one direction or another. I went into this saying, okay, I know there's a lot of embodied energy. Is this good? And really, energy-wise, it's expensive. Per kilowatt hour, it's expensive. Now, yes, can, they, can they drive it down with subsidies to make it at least profitable for the people who are doing it? Yes, of course. But what the root of all of it the thing that made it matter is the learning of how to store clean energy and once i got down to that point i looked at its footprint i looked at its global footprint and said it's not significant but the learning is so we have these conversations on the show so people can see something a little different than they wasted you know a billion dollars on this technology just like nasa nasa has had failures but they have, mm -hmm. they have given back to our country far more in technologies. Almost everything in the hospital came from NASA. That keeps us alive, alive longer. 
technology growth and education in science and technology has to continue for us to get better and competitive in the world. So when I look at these things, that matters. And that's why that's why I that's why we did this show, because not everybody's gonna care about these these towers. You know, people who listen to us for the gardening and the edible landscape or your your hilarious comebacks of things. It this is a technology that's a little more obscure. But the moral mm-hmm. of the story is still a big deal. That just because we don't see the relevance doesn't mean there isn't relevance. And that's the point that I wanted to make today. No, I, I agree with that. I think that uh, relevance is going to be based on perspective. And I think that for me, uh, and you, you'll notice just if you listen to our shows, you'll notice how fired up I get about food. That's where my relevance lies. That That is for me, that's where my perspective is seated. Uh, it's where I've spent my whole life learning things. And so when we talk about it, yeah, I'm like, raw, and I get all, I don't have ever called myself hilarious, but I definitely get fired up and I get a little ridiculous sometimes because that's where my relevance is. When you talk about these other technologies, I just try to relate it in ways that A, help me understand. Because when you're talking about it, I am thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. People are unfortunately getting to hear my thought process evolve as the conversation goes because un- unlike most shows we don't really prep this in the off chance that you do tell me the title of something i used i used to try to do homework on it but i found the homework was pointless because it actually made it made it harder for me to go with you i'd rather just listen to it and give you my perspective on things my thoughts and then relate it to everyday things that we have because that's kind of how my brain works in order for me to understand things i've got to relate it to something i know and i find that's easier for me to understand things when that's the case and so i think that works better like that well and i think that's the importance that's the root importance of our show because I don't know the questions people would ask if they don't know about this. You do because you ask them. You're probably asking questions on a regular basis that listeners are waiting to hear anyways that I don't have written down. So that's where a huge chunk of the show works. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I, I, I never thought that deeply into it. I just, when you, when you say things, sometimes it turns a gear and as long as it's not about food, it's a positive turn. If it's about food, sometimes it, it grinds the gear and I've got to go off on a tangent. Um, but it, I don't know, man. Well, that's all we had this week. So hopefully everybody got something out of this. You enjoyed this episode. I know when you first look at it, you're probably thinking, what in the heck are they going to talk about when it comes to this? But there is value. And we want to make sure that everybody gets a little bit broader of a scope. Now, you know something we don't know, tell us about it. Send us a voice message, send us a message, put it down in the chat. It doesn't, you know, we like hearing that feedback. So if you're, let's say you're an energy expert, tell me where I was wrong. Tell me where I was right. Let us know. So we appreciate y'all listening. And remember, uh, we just, pause that. Thank you all for listening. Now, before we close it, I want to make sure we remind everybody, I'm super excited we opened a Patreon. This will be a little more interactive than what we've ever had in the past. Before, for all of you who have uh, offered up uh, you know, some kind of financial assistance to realistic sustainability, first of all, thank you very much. That's all done through the Spotify for Podcasters. You can switch it over to Patreon. You can leave it there. They're both going to be active. But in the Patreon, our goal is to make things a little more interactive. We'll start, once there starts to be a little more uh, activity in there, 
Nick and I are just going to post some pictures, post extra videos. There's certain tiers that have different offers. Nick here has guaranteed he's going to give off some wonderful recipes, both vegetarian and I don't know what you call it, standard, carnivore, whatever. I'm oh, food. Cook. We call it food. Um, <laughs> food. I, I, I don't know if I'd say wonderful. I mean, they'll be edible. Uh, <laughs> Mike, you're, you're, you're putting sh- big shoes down for me to fill. But we will have all these different things going on. And one of the things that I really want to get going is voting. Putting a list of shows that can be coming up next that people can vote for. And we will run those ones next, giving you kind of a voice in which topics we talk about. There'll be a spot where you can offer us topics and we'll you know, put those in line and we'll go from there. So for those of you who've started to filter into the Patreon, thank you very, very much. We do appreciate it. It's it's nice to be able to see that people care about this show and want it to, to be here long term. But it's, but it also shows that people care about what they're listening to. They care about sustainability. So thank you. First of all, thank you very much. And remember, just like this episode where we learn a little bit here and there, it, we only get together to get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Remember, sustainability takes forever, and it's kind of the point. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we will see you next week.